Uh, when Chris first told me that we're going to speak on parables, I was just thinking like, okay, what am I going to speak on? I have no idea. Like I was trying to think of all the parables in my mind, and the first thing that popped in my head was the parable of the sower and how he sowed all the seeds and it landed on, the seed landed on different ground. And God's amazing how he works because he literally gave me all my notes in one night because I just sat there and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his word. I'm going to stay in the secret place. And that, that's um, what uh, this message is about in the end a little bit. So I want to read Matthew 13, 1 through 9, which is the parable. So it says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. A great, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But then the sun was up. But then when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yield, yielded a crop, some hundredfold and some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So... I just want to summarize it in my own words on how I got how um, how I perceive this. So basically, um, if you read later on, Jesus explains why he speaks in parables, and it's for the people who don't who can't like um, understand. It was saying they have their ears shut because they can't understand. If you don't believe in Jesus, they couldn't understand like these advanced things that Jesus was saying, like the disciples could understand. So he was speaking in parables to make it easier, like really dumbed down. But I like it because they always have a deeper meaning, like a really deep meaning inside of them. So the first seed was thrown on hard ground. And the first thing that popped up to me was like atheism right there. Because they're thrown, the seed was thrown, and these people don't want to hear it. It's like hard ground. It just goes right over them. They're like, no, I don't want to hear this. This is not for me. So the first thing that popped in my head was atheism for that one. And the second seed that was thrown on the ground was the stony ground. And that one starts to grow, but it dies. And... I really, I really dug deep on this one because it kind of reminds me of camp in a way. There's people who just go up, they're like, okay, they come back and they're like, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus. But they don't, they don't work, uh, get the root. They don't get the root. They just go word and then they go out. A trouble happens and they fall immediately. And I don't, I don't want that to happen to anybody, but you have to stay grounded. You have to, you have to keep reading and being in the secret place. And that's, that's what just hit me really hard on that one. You just, these people hit hardships and they just fall immediately and I was like wow and the third seed was the thorny ground it grows but it's choked out by the thorns and this one's slightly slim similar to the stony ground to me because it grows but it also dies but it grows a little bit further it has it has the roots it starts to grow a little bit more but the thing is this one is tied down this person is tied down by other distractions of the world and like all kinds of troubles and they just put God to the wayside, but they still go to God, they still pray, they still read their word, but they don't do it as much. So, and that one, um, that one was really like, to me, like I want to always share personal, that's like where I am, I feel. Like I always have like my distractions and stuff, like do this, do this, like I'm very compartmentalized. I just focus on one thing. So it's like God is here, this is all there. So it's like I have to figure out and I have to constantly stay in the word and being in the secret place, so, and the fourth seed was thrown on perfect ground, and it was rooted perfectly, 
and it um, it just sprung up just really well, and that person's on fire for God. So when I was reading through my notes, I noticed that I really focused, like a lot of my sentences and stuff were really focused on the three first seeds, and that's because as people, I think we used to, we talk about things that we can relate to, and um, so that's, that was just kind of shocking to me. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. So I really, really relate to all those because I'm still growing in my walk with God, and I'm still expanding and trying to figure out my path and praying and stuff like that. So I just kind of want to end with, like, how, how do you uh, grow in God? And this, like, these are kind of like my steps on how I, how I grow with God is praying, reading the word, and worship. Worship is, like, the most important thing for me. Like, um, I've done so much worship in my room, so, because, like, God even told me, he's like, you need to read the word, because I was playing too much uh, music. I was like, you need to read the word and actually, like, understand it. I was like, okay, because I was just playing a lot. I was just playing a lot and trying to get new songs. So these are, like, really things that help break down walls, because there's always walls in people's lives, as I said, in the thorn the thorns, how I feel where I am. There's walls. Those are walls, and I think I can break those, and I think you guys can break them if you have walls um, through all those three things. So that's what I just wanted to do. Good job, Daniel. So if you're unfamiliar with our, um, like, how we do this particular service is um, this, our, our different ones of our youth kids will share and um, kind of just share what God's been doing in their hearts, and I love it because... Um, I mean, you don't really get that a lot of places where young people are just given the opportunity to get up and share where they're at, and it just is so encouraging to me, and I love that, and especially to encourage Daniel, too, like, just worshiping and that songwriting and stuff, it comes up out of the word, so that's that's such a, you were hearing accurately, because <laughs> that uh, hearing the word just, um, that is really what the Holy Spirit can draw up from when you know the word and when you begin to write music, and I know we have a lot of musical kids. Um, next coming is another dude with cool hair. Dominic is going to come and share. And also a great drummer, Dominic. How's it going, guys? Huh? Okay, I will. I'll try. All right, I'm just going to pray now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the Holy Spirit to come here. Holy Spirit, we just give you full reign over this service. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would open up a window of heaven and pour out blessing more than we even can contain it, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd set a fire in each one of these youth, Father. I pray that the spirit of prophecy would be here, that, would, that each word that you have me speak out of my mouth, Father, and the parables that I, uh, that I wrote down, Father, that they would go into the heart and they would bear much fruit, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus against the enemy. I pray against the enemy that he wouldn't be able to have his way on this service, Father, but that your way would be done in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, we give you permission now to come here and to change our lives, and we give you full reign over this service right now. Come and speak a word, Father. All right. All right, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Okay. Uh, my parable was the prodigal son, and if you can open up to Matthew chapter 15, verses 11, verse 11. So. Oh, no, Luke, sorry. Luke 15. Does anybody have a Bible? I forgot my Bible. It's in my car. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. I'm always like, I come to youth, I'm like, oh, dang, forgot my Bible. Better get one. 
everybody there? Okay, verse 11. This is about the parable of the, of the, the prodigal son. So it, I'm just going to start reading. And he said, there was a certain man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the part of the property that falls to me. And he divided the estate between them. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered up all that he had and journeyed into a distant country. And there he wasted his fortune in reckless and loose living. And when he had spent all he had, a mighty famine came upon that country, and he began to fall behind and be in want. So he went and forced himself upon one of the citizens of that country who sent him into this, his fields to feed hogs. And he would gladly have fed him and filled his belly with the carob pods that the hogs were eating. But they could not satisfy his hunger, and nobody gave him anything better. Then when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have enough food, and even food to spare? But I am perishing and dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of the hired servants. So he got up and came to his own father. But while he was still a long way off, his father said, saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him fervently. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I no longer deserve to be recognized as a son of yours. The father said to his bondservants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and give him a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet. Because this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and, he, and is found. And they began to revel and feast and make merry. All right. Though I was uh, actually procrastinating. I only wrote this thing like right now, like right after, before this service. So just uh, ratting myself out. So the Lord was speaking. And I was like, I was like, God, please, please, please tell me something how to write this because I got to do it tonight. And I was like, and the Lord was like, okay, whatever, I'll do it for you. And, uh, and so he started speaking to me and I was, and I was just reading this and I was, I was thinking about the prodigal sign. I said, Lord, you have a deeper meaning to what you're talking about here. And I was relating it to my own life. And uh, this is what the Lord gave me. He says, he says, you think about prodigal sons of like people who, who walk out, they do drugs, they do this thing. But he says, I see the hearts and I see those who have, are prodigal sons of their, in their heart. They're prodigal sons in their heart. And the Lord began to say, he began to say, they, they go to church and they do all these things and they do all these church things. They, they raise their hands, they do all these things. But in their heart, they go home, they don't read their word and they don't worship and they don't do any of these things, right? Or they, they go and they prophesy in his name but they don't, have, they don't have any fruit in their life. They, some, somewhere, and the Lord began to say, I was singing this song, and I remember I was just, I was just singing it, singing it. The Lord kept giving me, he says, in my presence, in my presence, come unto me all those who are brokenhearted. And that was really the word that, they got, that God gave me tonight, is that there's people who are, who are brokenhearted by God, right? There's people who are brokenhearted by God, and they don't understand why God did this in their life, right? So they began to become cold for God, but they still go to church, and they still do all these things. But in their heart, they don't have any, any fire in their heart. They don't have any fire from the Holy Spirit. And, they, and they, don't, they, they seek God, but they don't really seek God. Does that make sense? They seek God, but they don't really seek God. And they, uh, they just, and, and uh, that's what the Lord was really ministering to me. He says that there's people, there's people here tonight, maybe have hurts in your life. Maybe God didn't do something where, where it's supposed to work out how you think it's supposed to be. And God was just saying, you know, come unto me. And I just have a scripture. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And uh, I just wrote down, he's calling those who are brokenhearted to come back into his presence. And uh, I just got a little, like, thing the Lord was telling me. I was like, 
uh, what's, the, what's the inheritance? And God was telling me, he's like, that's the presence of, uh, that's my presence. He says, the inheritance is my presence. And when you come unto me and you're, and you're in my house, you're living with me, right? Before the prodigal son walked away, he says, he says you're living in my presence. You're living in my presence, and my presence gets stored up on the inside of you, right? Talk about being filled to overflowing, right? We always talk about that in church, right? When you're in the presence of God, you get filled. And so the prodigal son of, in his heart, he leaves. He still goes to church, but he doesn't read his word. And so he, he takes the inheritance, the things that God gives you, like laying hands on the sick, hearing God. All these things are things that God gives you as, as, as gifts, right, for the inheritance. And so the prodigal son, he, go, he goes out, and he doesn't read his word. He still goes. And then it says that a famine comes, right? And I was like, Lord, what's the famine? And he says, the famine is when you stop reading my word and you stop, and you stop being in my presence, the Holy Spirit. Because whenever he talks about food, he's talking about the word, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit food and drink, right? And so these things in my own life, I had this thing in, in my life. It doesn't, it takes, sometimes it takes a long time before you get to that place. Sometimes you, you get hurt by God. I remember a story in my life, you know, I went to Medford and, and I went there and I was going to this internship and, you know, I was like, God, you're going to give me the money to do this, all right? And uh, I went there and uh, lo and behold, my, my car breaks down like 10, 10 times, right? And I don't have any money. And I'm living off of like $200 like a month. I can't get a job. I can't get anything, you know. I get let go of every job. And I say, God, why did you do that to me? And uh, the Lord didn't give me an answer. And, you know, I was hurt by God, you know. I was hurt by God. And I, I stopped reading my word and, 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 and talking to him fervently. And, and spending time in the secret place like Daniel said. And, you know, I didn't run out. I read, read the word sometimes. You know, I get some of the Holy Spirit. And then finally I came to this point where I, was, where I was living in a totally different place than I thought I was supposed to live, right? I was on fire for God, and nobody, nobody knows about my own life, right? I won't tell you about my circumstances, but, you know, I started coming back to God recently, you know, and people don't know that, right? So people can just walk around, and they can, they can say, brother, God bless you, but they, if you don't have, if your heart isn't towards God, that doesn't matter, Right, of your, of your personal relationship with God, you can go and you can evangelize people all you want, and you can like tell them about Jesus. I, uh, Jesus loves you, but if you don't spend time in the relationship with God, you, you don't have anything. And so, prodigal son in their heart, and uh, let's see right here. Yeah, that's pretty much what God was telling me, and he, he started to tell me because I was like, oh God, my heart's bad or whatever. And so uh, he said, if you, if you want, I said uh, in here, I said, if you want to check if your heart is away from God, check what comes out of your mouth. And so I was like, uh, I was reading, I was, and I remember the scripture where it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so let me, let me pray right now. And the Lord began to say, you know, uh, he began to speak to me. He's like, because I always thought, like, you know, you have to be speaking all these, you have to be putting all this stuff in your heart, right? The things we watch, all these different things. And, you know, and the Lord says, this says, out of the abundance of things that aren't godly are coming out of your mouth, that's what it, what's abundant in your heart. So that means you're full to overflowing, right, with the things that are not of God, and so that's where I was, right, and I started to have different things coming out of my mouth at different points, but n nobody knows, right, nobody knows at that point, it's all, it's all by myself, right, 
but God sees, because he sees, the, he doesn't look upon the outward appearance, but he looks on the, on the heart of man, right? And so, I began to, to read more, and it talks about the feast when he comes back, and uh, he began to give me a revelation. He began to say, the feast is, is the word and the spirit. And so when the, when the prodigal son comes back to the father, right, there's, there's a feast. He, said he, he has, a, has a fattened calf, right? And when a, when a prodigal son comes back to God, he, he receives a feast. That's why when people come back to God, they have the, they're like, oh, man, God, you know? That's because they're, they're partaking of the spirit. And so that's all I really have. tablet today. It's in my car. I don't know. I, I just, it just happened. Is this on? Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Okay. So, hi guys. What is up? So, I like to break the ice sometimes. So, I actually did, I was like contemplating like what parable to do. Like, I was going through all of them. I was like, okay, let's let's try doing um, the prodigal son. No, nothing. I was like, okay, let's try this one. Let's try that one. No. And then finally, I came to Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. And I'm in the wrong area. Okay, so I'm going to start with verse 13 and then read all the way through. So it says, Watch therefore, give strict attention, and be cautious and active, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. For it is like a man who is about to take a long journey, and he called his servants together and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, probably about $5,000, to another two, to another one, to each in proportion to his own personal ability. Then he departed and left the country. He who had received, and the, he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he gained five talents more. And likewise, he who received the two talents, he also gained two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came and brought him five more, saying, Master, you entrusted to me five talents. See here, I have gained five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, you upright and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in charge of much. Enter into and share the joy which your master enjoys. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. Here I have gained two talents more. His master said to me, Well done, you upright and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Enter into and share the joy with which your master enjoys. He who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a harsh and hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had not when now the grain. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is your own. But the master answered him, You wicked and lazy and idle servant, did you indeed know that I reap where I have not sown and gather grain where I have not winnowed? Then you should have invested my money with bankers, and at my coming I would receive what was, what was my own with interest. So take the talent away from him and give it to the one who was the ten talents. For to everyone who, was, who has will, more be given, and he will be furnished richly, so that he will have an abundance. But from the one who doesn't have who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away and throw the good-for-nothing servant to the outer darkness and there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. So, that was a lot. But what I did was I really wanted to break down it because it was like a lot. So, 
I went back and I studied this, and this parable implies that we are in a state of work and business. We are in a state of expectancy. expectancy? English is very hard. It shows our diligence and faithfulness. So what I got from this parable was people come to that part in their life where it's like they're comfortable, where it's like Jesus is coming back, I'm saved, but they're not doing work for the kingdom. And we can't be lazy because how I see this and how it's actually written is the master is Christ, who is the absolute owner and proportioner of all persons and things, and in a special manner of his church, into his hands all things are delivered. The servants that, were, that was read are Christians, his own servants, so they are called, born in his house, bought with his blood, devoted to his praise, and employed in his work. So I broke it up, and I compared. So we have the two servants, the one who sold ten and the one who sold five, and they did well. They were quick. They didn't think, they didn't doubt at, like, at all. And what I have learned, too, like, even in the natural, like, with doing hair, my instructor had told us this, the moment that you question what your hands are doing, you're going to freak out, and your hands aren't going to do what your brain is telling it to do. You're going to what if a lot. And where the, the third servant, how he did poorly, he wasn't quick. He instead, what he did is he assumed automatically that this man was harsh, and so he didn't go went out what he was supposed to do. So, had it been his own money, he may have did what he wished. But because he thought that the master was wicked, he did what in his flesh would have been right. Well, I'm going to hide it because I don't want him to get mad. So, let's see, let's see. So, whatever abilities and advantages we have, they are not our own, but we are stewards of them and must give account to the Lord whose goods they are. We are in a time where Christians are becoming slothful and lazy. The Lord has entrusted us his word and spirit and has equipped us for his work. And how I applied this scripture or this passage or this parable to my life is I strive every day to be able to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I never want to hear, Depart from me, I never knew you. The Lord has given me assignments that I must be obedient to. If I can't be diligent, faithful over little things, he won't entrust me with greater things. So that was my parable. <laughs> I always follow after Cherish. Always. It's a pattern. How are we doing, everybody? Yeah, I know. Only six foot six. So how are we doing, everybody? Awesome. So my parable is actually relatively short. I'm not going to be up here very long. So my parable is the parable of the treasures. Counted the words. It's 35 words long. That is not a lot of words, but it's crazy how much insight you get from 35 words from Jesus's mouth. If I give you 35 words, the best 35 words I've ever said in my life, you may be able to give me a three-sentence description. But these 35 words from this one parable you can get literally pages and pages and pages of notes. So I'm going to get into it. Uh, the parable of the hidden treasure is located in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. So I'll give you all a second to get yourself together and get there. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. So I'm reading it in the NIV. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. So like I said, that's 35 words. 
But if you break it down piece by piece, you get a deeper look at, at how, how much this parable truly is telling you. So the first few words says, when a man found it, meaning the treasure. Jesus simply said that a man found the treasure. Jesus didn't say that a man stumbled across a, a treasure or he f accidentally ran into a treasure. So that indicates a couple of things. First, to me, that indicates that the kingdom of God is it's obtainable. You can reach it. It's something that you can actually get. It's not out of reach. It's not something that you can never get. The kingdom of God is obtainable to anybody. There's no restrictions on that. The second thing that this indicates uh, is that you can't get your salvation or find the kingdom of God by accident. I don't know about you, but I've never ran into a Christian, and I was like, so how'd you come to God? And they're like, man, someone tricked me. I fell asleep. I woke up. I was in a baptismal. I don't know what happened. It, it doesn't work. So the kingdom of God is something that you can find, and it's not something that you're going to find by accident. You have to be going out and searching for it. You have to be looking for that treasure in the field. So next point, if you look, it talks about hiding the treasure. So the hiding of the treasure means that when you find the kingdom of God, you need to secure it. So you'll see that the man found the treasure, and then when he found it, he hid it again so he can have time to go home, sell his goods, and then go and buy that field. So we need to secure the kingdom of God for ourselves. But let me go ahead and kind of clarify here, because some people may take this as meaning, okay, so I'm going to secure the kingdom of God for myself, and I'm not going to tell no one about Jesus. No, that's not what it means, because I have encountered my fair share of Christians that do believe in God kind of to have their fire insurance. I literally run into Christians that have told me, oh, I believe in God, so, you know, because if I die and God's real, then I'm going to go to heaven. And if I die and God's not real, then, you know, I just spent my life believing in God, and there's no harm, no foul. Like, that literally is their mindset. And to me, I'm like, you're stupid. That makes no sense at all. It says in Mark 16, chapter 16, verse 15, to go out to the world and share the gospel with every creature. That's our call. So I think that's why Jesus is telling us that we need to secure the kingdom of God when we find it. Because we need to have a firm grasp on what the gospel is to us, who God is to us, before we can share the gospel with somebody else. I meet a lot of Christians that they're so hyped up for, for missions or, or worship or music ministry or whatever it is, but at the same time, what's your relationship with God like at home? When you're sitting at home, are you reading your Bible? Are you actually praying? You know, I've gotten into the habit of sitting in my car wherever I am, and in the morning, I'll pray for wherever I'm at. This morning, I prayed for my school. Something I'm not able to do when I go inside the school, but I prayed for my school. So what are you doing? Are, how are you securing the kingdom of God in your life? Or do you actually have a real relationship with God? And is it firm enough to where you can now go and share with others the gospel? So next point. Talks about, so since the man found the treasure, you would assume a treasure is something that is valuable. Uh, because the man was joyed when he found the treasure. So the extreme value of the treasure was recognized as greater than the man's possessions because he went and sold everything that he owned to buy the field that the treasure was in. That is crazy stuff. And the thing that a lot of Christians don't realize, and I know this can be an extreme, but there may be a point in your life where God calls you to another country where you literally may have to sell your home, sell your car, sell everything, and go out. Are you going to be joyed about that, though? The man in this verse was joyfully going and selling his possessions. It didn't say he hesitantly sold his possessions. He had joy in his heart as he went to sell his possessions. So is the kingdom of God that valuable to you? Ask yourself that question. Would you be joyful if God asked you to drop everything that you own to serve him? Or would you be sad and angry and bitter? So think about that. The kingdom of God has treasure more valuable by far than anything we possess. 
we should gladly sacrifice everything we possess, if need be, that we might possess the kingdom of heaven. So it's kind of, to put it into perspective, sometimes as a human, it's very tough to think about the fact that heaven is eternal. And the life that we live, maybe if I'm lucky, I'm going to be 80, 90 years old, you know? And the material possessions that I own now, the joy that they give me, it, it's going to fade eventually, you know? In 90 years, how much joy can you really feel as compared to an eternity with the one true living God? So those that know me very well, like Dominic and those that love shoes, know that I love shoes. I love buying shoes. I love Jordans. I love Adidas. I love everything. I probably own more shoes than I need to own. But every time I buy a pair of shoes, I know I get super hyped up the moment I get a new pair of shoes. Like, I'm so hyped that first week. And then they sit, and I'm like, yeah, they cool. But, you know, I just think of that initial moment of joy that I get when I buy a pair of shoes. But eventually it fades. But that initial excitement I feel, the kingdom of God is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times greater than that. So don't get caught up in material possessions. Don't get caught up in what you own here on earth because it may make you happy in the short term, but just think eventually that joy is going to fade, and eventually that car you own, that pair of shoes you own, they're going to break down. They're going to be dust. They don't mean anything at the end of the day. So I, I've always seen this, this picture, this meme that's shared on Facebook, and it's like two holes in the ground, and it's like poor man, and they put it over one hole in the ground, and then rich man, one hole in the ground. And it kind of just shows you at the end of the day, when you both die, rich or poor, you're going to the same place. You're going to die regardless. And so your material possessions, they don't mean anything at the end of the day. When you pass away, your material possessions are nothing. So kind of I, I really challenge you to think about that and, and question how valuable is the kingdom of God to you today compared to your material possessions. So I challenge you that if you, if you realize that you value your car, your whatever more than you really do, the kingdom of God and the relationship that you have with God, I challenge you to be in prayer about that and ask God to challenge you and to change your heart and to break that molded heart that you have in certain areas. So just to kind of close out, I just want to say my last point. The world has no lasting joy, but heaven does. That's why we should seek and secure our place in heaven and not love the things of this world. All right, thank you. I'm breaking my own personal rule, and I have an electronic device instead of a real Bible. And I'm very sad about this. I mean, it is a real Bible. It also has Facebook on it, you know, so... Um, just, I'm so encouraged by what I've heard tonight, and I know um, this last parable, I, I'm, we're going to read, it's Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast, and Jesus spoke in parables a lot, um, because the, the word says that he perceived the thoughts of the people. A lot of times, Jesus didn't answer their questions, he responded to their thoughts. Um, you'd ask, a question, how, how would that feel if somebody in your life was like that, where you asked a question and they, they kind of got to what you were really thinking? be quite uncomfortable if you ask me. Um, I've heard lots of different things about parables. Actually, I've also heard that, that the Lord spoke in parables so that those people's uh, hearts that weren't open to understanding, that they wouldn't be held accountable for that revelation. Uh, I've heard that too. I don't, I don't know how, uh, how true that is, but I, I just it's, it's something interesting to me about parables that may very well be possible that um, the parables make sense to the people whose hearts are open to receive revelation. And if you've heard from, all, um, from Dominic, Daniel, Ben, and Cherish, there's something weaved through all of what they said and that there's an invitation to come. You know, Daniel talked about the secret place, that there's an invitation to encounter God in the secret place. And uh, it's my heart as a worship leader. I'm, I'm always praying for 
um, every person's individual worship life because it's not just about what happens when we come together corporately. You can't go any further corporately than you have privately. And so that's why I'm always praying that the that people would know how it's it's the same reason when you know when we go to camp and uh, it's folk if the focus is on an emotional experience there's no um, there there nothing can last through that so I'm always praying that the that kids would know how to cultivate that environment on their own uh, to cultivate an environment like the secret place where they can hear from God because that's what sustains us. Um, so in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast, this says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. So two invitations have gone out, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their cities. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So I'm just going to stop right there. It's, it's pretty obvious the parable is a, um, it's a picture of, of the bridegroom and the church that, that God has prepared a feast for us. It's the gospel. And there's this invitation that's gone out, and really it was to, to, the, um, to the Israelites, to the Jews. This invitation's gone out, and he was rejected. And God said again, please come. You know, it's here. It's available to you. And they rejected him. So he said, okay, like, never mind. Basically, I'll open it up to everybody. So, like, that's us. <laughs> so that's cool. But um, as I was reading this, and really this is the one that Pastor Chris wanted to talk about, and so we were, we were discussing, a little, uh, um, discussing it a little bit, and I... I the part that really stuck out to me was that, you know, there was two invitations that had gone out, and it said they made light of it and went their own ways, and how much uh, we can hear the call of God. And even, I mean, it's not even just about salvation, how much we can hear the call to greater things, and we make light of it because we get so caught up in, in just what we have going on in our daily lives, that it says they went to their farms or they went to their places of employment, and how our um, our you know, finite resources, our jobs, our paychecks can actually become huge stumbling blocks to us. Um, I've actually heard people say, well, if I serve God, then I know that I'd have to change this, or I know that I'd have to tithe, and I know that I have to do this. I'm like, well, that's insane. <laughs> like, it's crazy to me that, that that's the thought process, but it is, that, that we can make light of the invitation where God is saying, come, he's prepared this feast for us, that there is a place for you at the table. And, and a feast, it's, I, I've actually... I went to this wedding about four years ago, and Chris was the best man, the longest wedding of my entire life, and I was um, 15 weeks pregnant, 16, something like that, pregnant, was in the middle of the summer, was wearing a dress that I thought was really cute that I got at Goodwill, a little maternity dress, and I'm in high heels, and the wedding, it's an Egypt, Coptic Orthodox wedding, Egyptian. Uh, I did not know that it's Egyptian culture, a bride would never show up on time to a wedding. So we're standing there. All of the American folks are there on time. So we're standing there in this Orthodox church with no air conditioning, and I realize my dress splits open down the side. And I'm, like, holding it closed. 
and Chris is with the bridal party, you know, and I'm like, oh, what have I done? So I run, I'm like, you know, pregnant and walking in high heels and stuff, and I find him, and he's in like the priest's office or something. I'm like, I need a stapler. Basically, like, this is all I can think of. And so he got, he, they stole the stapler out of the priest's office, and I went in the bathroom, turned inside, stapled it, and put it back on, and I'm waiting and waiting. So we're just waiting, and the wedding goes on, it took forever, it was all in Arabic, and then they're like, we're going to do it in English now, too. I'm like, no, it's cool, it's, please just be done. <laughs> so we're like, please just stop. And uh, we get in the car, and then we had to drive from Hayward to San Jose for the reception. Um, by then, all I've eaten was breakfast, and I'm pregnant, and I'm hungry. And we're like starving, and my mother-in-law's so sweet. She's like, "Let's go to the gas station and get you some trail mix or something." We're like, "Just I want a happy meal so bad." So we get to the wedding, and then I, they're they're passing around these appetizers, and I there every tray goes by, it's empty, and we're like, <laughs> "I just want like you know like a pig in a blanket or whatever they're serving. Like, can I get some?" And every tray goes by is empty, and I'm dying of of hunger. And we go in the hall, and it's this beautiful reception. I've never seen anything like it. Now it's we're three hours behind schedule, and now we're gonna wait for the bride and groom to take pictures so that we, I'm like. <laughs> I just want to eat, you don't know. And like this, you know, finally, the, all this food has been prepared and it's sitting there waiting. And so I know what it's like to be, and by the end of that wedding, I was so tired. I sat there and cried. I was like, I just have to go home now. <laughs> like, it's the longest day of my life. Um, but the point is that it's kind of like that, except that I know what it's like to be hungry. I, you know, I'm starving. It's hot. I want a salad. I want like a steak, you know? And we're just waiting and waiting. And the fact that there are people that could be starving like that and would deny food, <laughs> like they're going to deny what's being served to them. I could not have denied food at all at that moment. But spiritually, that is where a lot of people are at. We, they are spiritually starving, but yet they're denying their place at the table. And pregnant Rachel would never have given up a, a place at that table for the meal, I was starving, right? But that's where so many people are at, spiritually dry, starving. And there's this call that's going out, come to the table. There's a place for you. I've gone ahead, look at, I've prepared the best of what I have. And they go like this and they walk away and it's heartbreaking. And so my, my plea to you is whatever that call is in your life, it might, it's not just salvation. It's what is God calling you, calling you to. You don't have to jockey for position at that table. You don't have to compete for position at that table. There is a place for you. It's like uh, when I, I wanted the, the um, Norman Rockwell, you know, those pictures where it's like perfect. I remember wanting one of those Thanksgiving so bad. Like I want the Thanksgiving with the turkey on the table and the little name cards. And one year my Auntie Lane did that. And I had, it said, Rachel, like I had a little car, a little place at the table. And then I realized why you take the turkey back to carve it. And then you, because it takes forever to like <laughs> carve everybody pieces of turkey at the table. But the point is, I loved seeing my name at that place at the table. That's what the Lord has for you. There's a place for you at the table. It's there waiting, and that call is going out. And later on, the end of that parable says, many are called, but few are chosen. And you know what it is? It's not, it's not that that call goes out to only some people. It's that only some people present themselves to be chosen. And so that place for you at the table, it's prepared for you. It's there waiting. And, and, and the Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come. It's, the Lord's calling out to you. And so I just, uh, that's what I really hear from the Lord, that invitation that's weaved through all those parables that, that no matter what the Lord is saying, there's always an invitation weaved 
weaved in there to come and meet with him, to be in the secret place, to dive into the word, to, to, to not doubt yourself, to not doubt the Lord, to keep fighting, to keep moving forward, to be effective, to grasp the kingdom, that that invitation's going out. <laughs>